I am excited about our series that we've been on called Unhindered. For those of you that are just joining us, we have been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Colossians. I've enjoyed it. And again, I'm going to be brief in my message today. But what I want to do is share with you two vital points that the church, I believe, needs to understand. And when I say vital, I say that with emphasis added because today's verse addresses an eternal matter. And anytime you're dealing with a heaven or hell issue, I think it's critical that we examine just exactly what God's word is saying to us. Now, we're going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1 and verse 23 today. But before we do, I want to first read the verses that we went over last week. Because verse 23 is a continuation of those verses. So let's start back with verses 21. We'll read 21 and 22 that we taught last week. Then I'll read you 23. So Colossians 1, starting in verse 21, says, And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And verse 23, our verse for today says, If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, let me just give you a little bit of a, a recap of those first two verses, because verse 21 and 22 speaks about our condition before experiencing the life transforming power, grace, and love of Christ. Paul here describes the state of humanity prior to salvation as one that is marked by alienation from God. We were distant, disconnected, and destitute. Moreover, our minds were hostile towards God, clouded with sinful thoughts and intentions, leading us to engage in evil deeds, which really is just a bleak picture, if you will, of our spiritual condition without Christ. Yet the essence of the gospel message shines through in the latter part of these verses. Because despite our alienation, our hostility, and our sinful behavior, God took a radical step to bring reconciliation. He did this through the sacrificial act. Of Jesus Christ. Jesus in human form paid the ultimate price for our sins by dying on the cross. And his death served as that bridge that mended the gap between sinful humanity and a holy God. And the purpose of this reconciliation, church, it carries great significance. Because watch, it goes beyond just mere forgiveness. It transforms us into a new creation. And that's why it says that we are then presented before God as holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. But let me also emphasize that this transformation that we're talking about right here, it is not of our own doing. It is a divine work of grace. That's why the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace you have been saved by faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so that means that we are no longer defined by our past sins, 
but now by our new identity in Christ. Come on, praise God. Now I want us to look at verse 23. And I want you to pay special attention to the word if at the beginning. Paul says, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. This word if is a conditional word that carries profound implications. It signifies that the truths that Paul just revealed to us hold true if certain conditions are met. And you need to know that this isn't just something that Paul was addressing with the church at Colossae, but what we're reading right here is for believers throughout all of history, including us today. This if it challenges us to understand that our faith walk didn't end at the moment of salvation, but is the beginning of a lifelong relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who've been in church for any length of time, you're probably already picking up on the fact that I'm about to talk about the doctrine of eternal security, or as some would call it, once saved, always saved. And I feel the need to caution you if you hold this belief. Because while at the heart of this doctrine, I believe that the intention was to assure believers that God's grace is not based on one's merit or good works. And to that point, and I think we would all agree, amen? Yet this doctrine has, over time, evolved into a belief that no matter a believer's actions, they're guaranteed a place in heaven. But friends, listen to me. I can assure you that there are many verses that are just like the ones that we're reading today that should give us reason to consider just exactly what God's word says on this matter and not what a doctrine or a denomination says. Paul said in verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you have heard. See, this implies that there are some who do not continue in the faith. Some who started out in the faith, but then for various reasons are no longer in the faith. Now, you don't just have to take my word for it. Let me just share with you several proof texts that continue to validate this truth. 1 Timothy 4.1 says, Now the Spirit expressly says. I love that he felt inspired to write that because he's saying, hey, yo, guys, get, pay attention here. The Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will, what? Depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, let me ask you something. How can you depart from something that you were never a part of? You can't. You see, the scripture is speaking of those who were once in the faith, but then walked away. Here's another scripture for you, Hebrews 3, verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil. Who's he talking to here? Take care of who? Brothers. That just stood out to me. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now again, the scripture is clear that 
it is possible to fall away from God. Here's another one, Galatians 5.4. It says, you are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Now I want you to notice those last four words right there. Fallen away from grace. You see, in order to be able to fall away from something, you have to first be a part of it. Now I could list you dozens of scriptures that say the same thing as just what we're reading right here. But I want us to just take a look at what Jesus has to say on the matter and read Matthew chapter 7 verses 22 and 23 because Jesus said this on that day many highlight underscore that word right there underline that word many not just a handful but on that day many will say to me Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast demons in your name. Cast out demons in your name. And do many mighty works in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Some translations say you're workers of iniquity. Now I want you to grab a hold of this. Because in the beginning of this truth that Jesus shares, it says, Lord, Lord. And I learned this years ago. Uh, that anytime you say, Lord, Lord, that is a sign of intimacy. So in other words, the person who said this to Jesus, the Lord, Lord, thought that they were good. Thought that they were saved. Thought that they were going to heaven. By the way, check out this guy's resume. Have you ever considered that? It says that he prophesied. That he cast out demons. And that he did many mighty works. And then what does it say? That he did it in Jesus' name. So he wasn't doing it from a new age perspective. He wasn't doing it in, I don't know, you know, Buddha's name or Muhammad's name. He was actually doing it in Jesus' name. But what was Jesus' response? He said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Jesus put emphasis on relationship. And how we live our lives. Friends, how you live matters to God. Let me say it again. How you live matters to God. Now, I don't share these things with you to invoke fear or to cause you to, to question whether or not God loves you. Rest assured that God loves you. Okay? But understand this about the gospel. The gospel is not just about us asking for forgiveness. Are you with me? I mean, hey, who doesn't want forgiveness? I mean, that would be like me walking around my neighborhood and going to every one of the homeowners and say, hey, I'm going to forgive you of your mortgage debt. I mean, who's going to say no to that? No one's going to say no to that, right? Everyone wants for forgiveness. But the gospel message, it's not about us asking for forgiveness. It's about repentance. Y'all know what repentance means when he says repent for the kingdom of God's at hand? That means that we, ch literally that word repent means that we change our mind. That means we are heading one way and then all of a sudden we turn and we go the other way. Just like the woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus told her, now go and sin less. No, they went, okay, all right. He said, go and sin no more. He says, you need to do a 180. I offer you forgiveness, but now you need to go and you need to live differently. And guess what? We can live differently, folks. Yeah. 
Did you know that? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That doesn't mean that I can bench 315. I know we like to put that on every locker room in America. But what that's talking about is us having the strength of God to be able to live the life that God's called us to live. It's about repentance. It's about surrender. It's about setting Christ as first in every area of our lives. See, 2 Corinthians 13.5, it offers us this challenge. It says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Now, what's that mean? To test ourselves. Well, it's not for us to live in, in constant anxiety about our salvation, Okay. But it's a call for self-examination and spiritual honesty, a process where we take a genuine look at our life and we ask the Holy Spirit to show any area that's within us that we need to surrender to him, any area in which we need to grow. And then we ask God to strengthen us to live the life that he has called us to live. You see, church, there is a such a thing as what's called blessed assurance. Now you may ask, well, what's that? Blessed assurance is the firm conviction and confidence that comes from knowing that we are in right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's the peace that surpasses understanding that the Bible talks about. It's the certainty that our sins are forgiven. And it's the hope of eternal life. But how do we get that blessed assurance? Well, first, it begins with a deep and sincere relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not just enough for us to know facts about him, but about knowing him personally, intimately, and daily. It's about acknowledging Jesus as Lord and Savior, not just with our lips, but with our lives. Notice to what Jesus said to the man in Matthew chapter 7. He said, I never knew you. There was no genuine relationship there. Sure, the man was doing some of the things that God has called us as Christians to do, but he missed the most important thing. Like a perfect example of this is actually mentioned in the gospel in Luke chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. Jesus shares this few verses when he said, two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector, and the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. One man boasted of all the things that he had done. The other man threw himself at the mercy of God. Now, this story right here is one that I believe is meant to prop self-examination. And so I can't help but to ask the question, which one are you? 
Are you the one who's relying upon your good works? Who's doing some of the, the right things, yet in your doing, you fail to lay hold of the greater things? Or maybe you're here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, my life is a mess. I keep messing up time and time again. I try to do the right thing, and sometimes I, I, I do, but I keep screwing up. And I need the mercy of God. I know that I don't deserve anything, but please, God, if you would, have mercy on me. If that is you, then I've got some good news for you. Because Jesus said that it was the sinner who went home justified before God. Do you know what it means when we use the word justified, just to share for those of you? That means it's justified, not stand. Ascend. It's just like when it, the scripture speaks of us being righteous. Think of it this way. It means that you are in right standing before God because of what Jesus did for you. I want you to write this down. God's not looking for you to be perfect. He's looking for you to be present. You see, it's not about your ability. It's about your availability. Now, this first point, having a deep and a sincere relationship with Jesus What's that mean? That means us having an active prayer life and a daily Bible reading. This is how you develop intimacy with Jesus. And when you do this, you'll start to grow in, in discernment. You'll grow in your understanding of, of who God is and, and how he sees you. And it's where you begin to recognize the voice of God. And the second way that we get this blessed assurance is by having a transformed life. Now, as I said earlier, it's not just about us asking for forgiveness. It's about repentance and surrender. It's about allowing Jesus to be the central and guiding force in every aspect of our lives. It's about striving to live a life that honors him, even though at times we may stumble. And I mention this because I feel like there's a lot of prodigals that are out there. I'm talking about those who have walked away from the faith and they're ashamed to come back. And many of them have believed the lie that God doesn't want them back, that they've messed up to the point where that they can't return. But friends, don't ever believe the lie that says that your sin is greater than the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 1.18 says this. Ha, we sang about it today. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be washed white as snow. Come on, can someone just thank God right now that our sins have been thrown into the sea of forgetfulness? Praise God, you can do better than that. I said your sin is not going to be held to your account. You're going to get a stand before God one day and hear the words, enter faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Hallelujah. I'm going to dance even if you look at me like I'm crazy because one day I'm going to get to go to heaven. Ha! Praise God. Woo! Come on, Jesus. Now, if you've never read the story of the prodigal son, some of you are like, whoa, I need to go watch this. Yeah, you need to go read that story. It's in Luke 15, 11, 32. And uh, I, I want to share it just kind of briefly with you because I mentioned how there's a lot of prodigals out there. Um, in the story, the prodigal son chose to go and chase after worldly desires only to find that the world couldn't satisfy his deepest, innermost needs. And so he remembers how good he had it back at his father's house, and so he decides to go back. 
And when he arrived in the story, it tells us that the father did three things for him, and he did it immediately. Okay, here's the first thing that he did. The Bible says that he put a robe on him. Now, again, if you know the story, the son had been slopping the hogs. Come on, how many of y'all have ever slopped the hogs before? Would you, would you raise your hand? Y'all a bunch of city folk, man. Come on. Daddy's over there like, yep, we sure have, ain't we? <laughs> well, when you slop the hogs, let me tell you something, you get nasty. I mean, you get dirty. You get all kinds of mud and manure all over you. So you know that the son, he was filthy, much like us whenever we come to God in our sin. And the Bible says that the father immediately put a robe on him. Now, what does that signify? Well, it was a sign that the father was covering his son. Hmm. Just like what God does for us whenever we come to him and surrender our life to him. Then the second thing that the father did was it says that he put a ring on his finger. That means that he restored full sonship and authority back to the son. His son didn't have to live as a servant in his father's house. And I mention this point because there are a lot of sons and daughters who have yet to know who they really are. Like their identity is that of a slave or a servant instead of a son and a daughter. But listen to what God's word says in 1 John 3.1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Come on, turn to the person next to you and say, that's what you are. You are a child of God. And so that means if you've ever doubted whether God accepts you, whether he loves you, or whether he sees you as his own, I'm here to tell you that you are loved by God. You are his child. So let that truth set you free from those chains of self-doubt and insecurity. Your heavenly Father's arms are wide open just waiting for you to run into so embrace your identity as a child of God and walk confidently in his love. Amen? And then I said there was a third thing that the father did. Okay? As if the first two weren't pretty amazing right there. He's covered us with a robe. He's put the ring on our finger, restored sonship. And then guess what he did next? The Bible says that he threw a party for his son. Hey, watch this. If you like parties, you're going to enjoy heaven. If you like, like me who likes big feasts, Oh, man, come on. See, watch this. The father in the story, he is a representation of God. And, and here's what we know is true because the Bible tells us that it's true. Luke 15, 7 says that there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, think about that. Heaven erupts in celebration whenever just one soul comes back to him. Hey, I love the chance any time I get to be able to talk about the prodigal son because it's a reminder that no matter how far we have strayed or how deep we have sunk into our sin, God's love and his grace is always there ready to welcome us home with arms wide open and a heavenly celebration. But once again, just to reiterate, how do we get this blessed assurance? First, it's through a deep and sincere relationship with Jesus. Then second, 
It's through a transformed life. And here's the third way. It's by bearing fruit that aligns with a life that's transformed by Christ. Galatians 5, and 23 reminds us what the fruit of the Spirit is, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as we walk in the Spirit, these qualities should be ever-increasing in our lives. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that a tree is known by its fruit. And in the same way, people will know us by our fruit. Then there's the fourth way that we experience this blessed assurance, and that is to persevere in the faith. The if there in Colossians 1.23 challenges us to continue in the faith, to remain stable and steadfast. Now, this isn't a call to self-dependence, but it's a reminder that our faith is a lifelong commitment. It means holding on to our faith in the face of trials, doubts, or temptations. And can I just tell you something? That you are going to face all three of those at some time in your life. Like you're going to have trials, you're going to have doubts, and I can promise you that you're going to have plenty of temptation. But Paul reminds us to be stable and steadfast. And what's that mean? Well, to be stable means that you're unhindered. I kind of like that word. <laughs> it means that you're not swayed or destabilized by external circumstances, but you're firmly grounded in the truth of the gospel. And to be steadfast means to be resolutely committed and unwavering in one's faith and devotion to Christ. It means that you're approaching your faith like a marathon and not a sprint, that you're in it for the long haul. That's why the writer of Hebrews said that we are to run the race with perseverance, to run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And then the fifth and the final thing that we're to do in order to experience this beautiful, blessed assurance is to seek accountability and fellowship with other believers. Church, you've heard me say this many times, but we're not meant to walk this faith journey alone. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 encourages us to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. Accountability and fellowship play a crucial role in our faith. See, when we surround ourselves with fellow believers who want to grow in their faith, it creates for us a network of support and encouragement. As I mentioned earlier, the Christian journey can oftentimes be challenging. Like there's going to be moments that you're going to feel weak, when doubt's going to creep in, and whenever the trials of life, they seem overwhelming. And it's in those times that having brothers and sisters in Christ to lean on makes all the difference in the world. When we share our struggles, then they can offer prayers, support, and godly counsel. And this mutual encouragement, it keeps us on the path of faith, reminding us that we're not alone. But what it also does is it sharpens us. Proverbs 27, 17 
tells us that iron sharpens iron. See, teaming up with another fellow believer in Christ, where we can engage in discussion, ask questions, and share experience with one another can refine our understanding of God's word and, watch this, deepen our relationship with God. So we need to have fellowship in our lives. But watch this, it's not just about fellowship, but it's also about accountability. And I feel like this is one of those words that needs some definition to it because what has happened in the church in years past is that accountability meant just calling people out. And look, I think that there is probably a time where, you know, people do need to be uh, called out. But can I just suggest this? Instead of looking to always call people out, how about we call them up instead? Call them up to who they are in Christ. To remind them that they are sons and daughters. To let them know that God's purpose for them is greater than any worldly pursuit or fleshly desires. And I want to bring today's message to a close. I know that today I presented to you two sides of the same coin, but both sides are needed. We need to understand that the scriptures speak on many occasions of those who can and have walked away from the faith. And that it, it is possible to be doing a lot of Christian things, like the man in Matthew chapter 7, but still miss heaven. But the other side of the coin, and thank God for that side, is that we have a loving heavenly Father whose arms are outstretched wide, ready to accept us and to receive us as his own. Now, maybe you're here today and you find yourself in need of God's mercy and his forgiveness. Well, just know that you're not alone. Remember that God is not looking for perfection. He's just looking for you to be present. Just like the tax collector in Jesus' parable who found justification through humility and repentance, you too can find forgiveness and restoration in Christ. Amen? I want to ask everyone to stand with me if you would. And as you're standing, many of you know that at the end of every service, I always extend the invitation for those who recognize their need for God. And I let them know that God receives them just as they are. But I want you to know that this is not only true for the sinner, but it's also true for the prodigal as well. It's true for the person who at one point in their life had a zeal for the things of God. Had a passion to know God. But at some point you realized that you were no longer walking with him. Well, the good news is that the invitation stands for both sets of people. Whether you're just here now hearing about the, the love and the grace of God for the first time or whether you at some point walked away from God. Maybe not necessarily just because you like rejected Christ, but you fell to the temptations of the world. Well, today the Father stands with arms wide open. Now I've asked the worship team to come and to lead us in this song. And then I'm going to come up and I want to pray. 
But I want you to listen closely to these words because this isn't a, a song that you're going to hear on the radio. It's actually one that was birthed from our worship team. So I want you to sing along if you want, but I want you to allow these words to fill your heart.
Now I want to speak to every person in this room that you are not in right standing with God. I know that in a room of this size, that there are some that are in this room that you are not in right standing with God. Maybe you're like the guy in Matthew chapter 7. You're like, Chris, I'm, man, I'm at church, man. You know what? Going to church doesn't make you a Christian no more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. It's okay if I use an old youth group analogy, but it's the truth, right? But you're here, and you know in your heart of hearts that you're still empty, man. You've been going through the motions, and you know that you need Jesus. Well, friend, I want you to know love is calling. The Father is welcoming you with arms wide open this morning. That every sin, every stain, every mistake, every doubt, right now, His blood will wash you as white as snow if you will surrender your heart to Him. If you will declare Him to be Lord and Savior of your life. And so I want to ask who is here this morning that you know you're not in right standing with God. That that requires humility. Just like the, the sinner who beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. But that person went home in right standing with God. So if you want to leave this place knowing that you are taking that first step toward that deep, intimate relationship with Jesus, to begin to bear fruit, to be able to experience this wonderful thing called fellowship and and, and walk into accountability where we grow as believers and not chase after the things of the world like the prodigal son did, thinking that that was what he wanted, only to find himself one day sitting there slopping hogs, realizing that what he really needed and wanted, he already had, and so he returned back. And so if that's you, and say, I want my heavenly Father. I want his love. I don't want the love of this world. The love of this world is shallow. I want his love. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up right now. Put it up and don't wait to look around and see if someone else has got their hand up. If that's you and God is dealing with your heart by the Holy Spirit and you say, I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ right now. Every part, because there's been some parts I've been holding on to, but right now I'm giving it all to him. If that's you, I want you to put your hand up. Yeah, yeah. Who else? I'm I'm not just talking to those that are here in this room, by the way. There are many of you watching this online. And I want you to know that the Father loves you. I don't care if you were an atheist, if you were agnostic or ignorant. I don't care if you were a Muslim. I don't care if you worshiped Harry Krishna. Guess what? You can put your faith in the person of Jesus Christ today and receive the real deal. I want to lead you right now for those of you that would say yes, both here online, but here especially in person. I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a prayer of surrender that says to God, God, I can't save myself. And so, Lord, I'm throwing myself at your mercy. And I want to be in right standing with you. And I want to be free from the chains that's been hooked onto me and holding me back. Well, today is your day for freedom. So I want to invite you right now. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want you to take ownership of them. You can just borrow these words, but you take ownership of them. And we're going to all confess Jesus as Lord together right now. Saints of God, those of you that have prayed this prayer, join in with us. We're going to all together confess Jesus as Lord. Pray this out loud with me. Pray, Lord Jesus, I confess 
I was born a sinner in need of a Savior. And I ask you, Jesus, be my Lord. Forgive me of my sins. I repent from them. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for the sin of the world and for my sin. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave just as your word says. And now I want to live my life to know you and to make you known. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. And can we thank God for our salvation one more time at every opportunity that we get to thank God for our salvation, we should do it. Amen. Hallelujah.